a number. 50% of 250, 125 of you would be described as hypo- hypocritical. Like according to this. 49% self-righteous. So right there, 125 again. 46%, that's about 115 of you would have been described as, as self-righteous. Arrogant at 32%, about 80 of you would have been described this way. And you see, if the statistics are true, then the church, like, hey, church, we have some surrendering to do. Not for the sake of presenting ourselves as perfect, but for the sake of presenting the perfect one to others. Like, it's not put on compassion and kindness and gentleness so that you can be this perfect-looking Christian. It's not to say, hey, look at me, like, I've got it right. It's for the sake of presenting the perfect one to the believers. Or, well, you can present it to the believers, but it's to present it to the world that doesn't believe. Man, these statistics, if they're true, man, it's heartbreaking. It should compel us to put on the things that are in Colossians 3. You see, Paul gives us instructions to do this. And so before we jump into Colossians 3.12, I want to backtrack to Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. And this is what Chris talked about last week. And so I just want to give you kind of a summary of it so we know where we're going. And so it says in verse 5, Therefore, put to death what belongs to earthly, the earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things and you were living in them, but now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. And so verse 5 and 7, it's saying, hey, put to death what we would recognize and most would say like the big sins, like sexual immorality, Adultery, greed, like, like put, a, put to death the big things. And yes, that is true. But verse 8, like Paul's also saying, hey, don't, don't forget the small. And it's not that, that the, the, the weight of those sins are any different. And in fact, it's not that one's big and one's small. But like we, we so often are so excited to be like, hey, I was saved from alcoholism. Yet you come home angry and bitter every single night. That's incongruent. You were to put off those things as well. And so that's what I want to talk about as we jump in to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. We'll start in verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I, and I want to, right there at verse 12, it says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, some of your translations may even say the elect 
of God. And, and this, this terminology can kind of get us tense sometimes. Like, like, like we, we get like kind of on edge. We're like, what, like, what does that mean? Let me just make it really, really simple for you. If you believe in the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ, you were chosen. And this should both be taken as a comfort, but also a purpose to fulfill. Like if you believe in the redemptive blood of Jesus, like you should be comforted because no longer is your old self associated with you, it's been put on the cross, but it also should be taken as a purpose to fulfill, a destiny to begin to focus on, that you have one mission and one mission only, and it is to live for Jesus. You now live for something much bigger than yourselves. So therefore, as chosen ones, God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. William Barclay says this. It says it is most significant to note that every one of the graces listed has to do with personal relationship between individuals. There is no mention of virtues like efficiency or cleverness, not even diligence or industry. And it's not that these things are unimportant, but the great basic Christian virtues are those which govern human relationship. All of these things listed are literally like the governance, the virtues that engage in human relationship with your neighbor, with your coworkers, with your boss, like with your family, your wife, your kids. Like this is how God intended us to govern our human relationships. That as believers, this is the way that we should be described. That in 2023, when the Washington Post does another article, we are no longer associated at 50% with hypocrisy, but we're associated with compassion. That the world around us says, man, I don't, I don't agree with France, but he, sh- he is kind. Man, I... I I, I, I could care less what Rance believes, but man, that dude, he is always gentle in his response to me. Like, like that, that's, that's the call. That is the purpose God is calling, calling us to fulfill. And it's not for the sake of us presenting ourselves as perfect, but it's for the sake of presenting the perfect one to others. And so this isn't a behavior modification message. This is asking you to take on the call in which God has presented to you. If you were chosen by God, if you believe in the redemptive blood, then take it as a comfort, but also realize there is a purpose that you are called to fulfill. So let's break it down. Compassion. Compassion moves us to act in the benefit of others. Like when we're compassionate, like we, we stop becoming selfish and we start becoming selfless. That, that in, in the busyness of life, as we see somebody mourning or see somebody hurting or somebody actually asks us to pray, no longer as a church, we're like, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll add you to my list tonight. But as, as we are moved with compassion, everything else stops in that we are moved to pray and to love and to be with another. It's, it's, it's not passive, but this is active. The word kindness, um, 
I couldn't pronounce the Greek for you, so I'm not even going to try, but how this word would be associated and how, how they would begin to explain this to really kind of create a picture of what it means to live with kindness. This is how they would associate it. The word would be associated with a wine that has grown mellow with age and has lost its harshness. In other words, as believers in the midst of conf- conflicting views, disagreements, frustrations, our response isn't harsh, but it's kind. And some of you are young, some of you are passionate, some of you know exactly, like, like you would die on a hill of something you believe with truth, but somebody won't even listen to you because the way you say it is so harsh. Man, it can, it, it most likely, it could be true. But the way you deliver it, the way you, you enter into that conversation is so harsh that they, they could care less what you say. I don't know who said this quote, and so I, I, it's, not, it's not mine, but it says people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Put on kindness. The word humility is probably one of the hardest for me because humility, like, like begins to, at least in my mind, like I see if you're walking in humility, like you're walking transparent. Like, I, like in humility, I can't stand up here and say, I deserve to teach or speak to any of you. I don't. By God's grace, I'm here, and I, I even question it sometimes. I know he's sovereign, but like in humility, like I'm a wretched and filthy man. And it's not me thinking less of myself, like it's just what it is. But by God's grace, he saved me and he has allowed me to live with purpose and to partake in what he's doing in this kingdom. But it's recognizing that. Because there's many of us that begin to check off these, like, oh yeah, I'm compassionate. Oh yeah, I'm kind. Like people, like my friends, man, they think I'm the kindest person ever. Yet you fail to walk in humility you've become a star and not a servant. You have taken the worship of others when you're supposed to show and direct the worship to the Lord. You're not walking in humility. The next two, in fact, humility in a lot of ways presents itself as a parent virtue of gentleness and patience. And let me, let me elaborate on this. Gentleness displays humility in the way our actions affect others. See, gentleness says, I will not dominate or control, manipulate or coerce, I will, regardless of my power or authority to do so. Like, are you living gentle? Humility will display, gentleness displays humility in your actions. Parents, are you gentle? Here's a good self-reflecting, like when your kids do something wrong, what parent do they go to to tell? Do they go tell mom because they know dad is going to immediately just erupt in anger and your response isn't gentle or loving? Do they go to dad because they know mom is about to lose their mind and not even even listen to them? And this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying compromise truth at the sake of gentleness. I'm saying there should be a balance of both, but you should be wearing gentleness. And humility is... Gentleness displays humility in our actions. The way it does this with patience is 
dis, um, patience displays humility in my reaction towards others. It is the dying to the compulsive desire to prove that I am right. It is not living impatiently or, and here's the big or, it's not living with the resentment or frustration towards the weakness and the sins of others. Man, you want, you want to talk about patience. Go downtown Dallas at five o'clock. You, you really begin to see the display of weakness and sins of others. Downtown five o'clock begins to show the weakness and the the, the sins of myself. And man, I, I hear all the time, like, pastors will say, hey, don't, pay, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. The Lord's going to test you. Man, I, I want to just encourage you, pray for patience. Because this is a way that we get to show the love of Christ. When, when, we, when we're beginning to be frustrated with the weakness and sins of others, like our, our, our response isn't to just disconnect from them or separate from them, but it's to engage with them. You want to talk about somebody who's patient? I mean, Jesus, he was patient. And so if you're taking notes, here's point number one. A life rooted in Christ puts on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Straight from scripture. Like there's, there's no need to add, subtract. Like, like if you want to talk about a life rooted in Christ, a life rooted in Christ puts on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, dearly and loved, both something to take comfort in, but also a recognition of a purpose to fulfill, put on these things. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. And so a life rooted in Christ puts on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But point number two, a life rooted in Christ forgives generously. This is the one that's going to hit. Like if you're me, this is the one that hits. You see, forgiving generously isn't the statement I will forgive, but never forget. Forgiving generously, according to this verse, the example is of the Lord. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you are also to forgive. Christ is the model for forgiveness. God makes the first move towards us in forgiveness. He doesn't put stipulations on forgiveness. And, and, and I know you might say, like, yeah, Rance, like, like, I'll forgive, but once they say sorry, 
Yeah, Rand's like, I'll, I'll forgive, but once they change their ways and stop acting like a fool, like, like that, those are the circumstances in which they will receive my full forgiveness. But as a believer, it says, forgive as Christ forgave you. That means you were actively moving towards and forgiving. No stipulations, no consequences. Like it's not contractual. You just forgive because you have been forgiven. In fact, Christ's forgiveness is so merciful and gracious that, it, that as offenders, me and you, offenders of the gospel, of God himself, he grants adoption to us. In our rebellion and sin, he still desired to love and forgive us of our sins. It wasn't I will forgive and never forget attitude. It was I will forgive and you were made new. The old is no longer accredited to you. I've, I've put it on my son. And so when I was walking in the opposite direction of God's design for me, his desire for my life, his instruction that, that is given in the scriptures, like when I was walking in opposition and I accepted Jesus, he says, I forgive you, Rance. You are a new creation. The old is gone. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Man, that, that's big. And some of you come in here with father issues. Some of you come in here with church pain. Some of you come in here and, and, you, and you're just so frustrated with your spouse that you're just sitting next to them just to play Christianity, to present yourself as perfect. And a life rooted in Christ forgives generously. It fights for unity. It dies to, to your, your selfish desires and it says, his will be done. And his will, his desire, is that all would come to know him. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, suppose that someone had grievously offended any of you, that he asked for your forgiveness, do you think that you would probably say to him, well, yes, I forgive you, but I, I, I cannot forget Ah, dear friends, that is the sort of forgiveness with one leg chopped off. It is a lame forgiveness, and it is not worth much. A life rooted in Christ doesn't put stipulations on forgiveness. It says, I will forgive you because I am forgiven. Even if they deserve it or don't. Because here's a new flash, news flash. You don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. You haven't done anything to deserve Christ's forgiveness. In fact, you've done everything to deserve his wrath. But his grace and his mercy are so much bigger than that. Honestly, incomprehensible. Like, he forgives generously. And thank Jesus for it. Verse 14, it says, put on, uh, above all, Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
Let the peace of Christ, which you were, you were also called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So a recap, a life rooted in Christ puts on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness. Point number two, a life in Christ, rooted in Christ, forgives generously. Point number three, a life rooted in Christ is motivated by love. It's motivated by love. You see, love is a summary of all the things listed above. Love is the perfect fulfillment of what God desires in our relationship with others. You see, the virtues above in their fullest form are all manifestations of love. But even that being true, love is greater than any one of them. In fact, the virtue of love is greater than all of them combined. A life rooted in Christ is motivated by love. Man, if you want the key to that statement, it's not that you're presented perfect, it's so that you can present others to the perfect one. The motivation is love. It's not self-seeking. It's, it's not so that you can get the award. They can say, hey, look, look man, that, that pastor, he's so good. Man, my, my boss, he's awesome. I want to be described as a person that, like, man, rent... France loves the Lord and he cannot stop talking about him. Man, my boss, like he, like as for him and his household in this business, like they worship the Lord. The motivation is love. And this is the thing. You have been marked. Those of you who have believed in the redemptive blood of Jesus like you have been marked, you have been chosen, you have received this comfort, yet you're still walking around in anger and malice and slander. And what's interesting is like, even if all of those things are true, you can still do acts of kindness. You can, you can still present yourself as compassionate. You, you can still be gentle with your kids. Like, like, you can do all of those things, but if the motivation isn't love, like it's rooted in something other than Christ. And so as believers, this is what it looks like. You wake up in the morning and, and you are a believer in Christ. And you've put something on that you shouldn't be wearing. Like teenage rants, like those, question, those clothes were questionable. They were funny. But as believers, a lot of us are walking around like this. And I, and I can help you, I can, I can change your tire, and you're going to look at that guy and be like, something doesn't look right. I can, I can respond in gentleness, and you're like, I like the motive just thank you but 
I, I mean, I appreciate you being there for me, but, but as an unbeliever, like, this, like they can see it. Hey, let me tell you, we live in a world that is so saturated with what is artificial that people know when something's authentic. Like it's real. And as believers, statistically, if this is to be proven true, then 150, uh, 125 of us in this room wake up and we look like this. Lord, I'm here. Use me. I'm ready. And he's saying in Colossians, hey, church, you were chosen by God. Verses 7, take off, put away with, apotitheme, which is the Greek word to do away with, to put off anger, malice, unforgiveness. Take it off. Because when... The body, when the church is dressed spiritually and the things they're not supposed to, the result isn't laughter, but it's pain. And then what we see, it says, put on love. This is my nice jacket, so I didn't write love on it, okay? <laughs> I, was, I was willing to get rid of that one, but it says, put on love. This fits. Man, this feels good. This is comfortable. Now when the acts of kindness come, like when you need a jacket because you're cold, like, like I have something to give you. My motivation isn't so that I can be presented perfect, but I can present others to the perfect one. My motivation is out of love. That as I forgive generously, it's because Christ forgave me. As I put on com compassion and kindness and gentleness, like it's because Christ has given me the model and I live for purpose not self-seeking not selfish not so that i can climb up the corporate ladder but for the sake of the kingdom and what i believe and what i what i feel like as as we're reading this like like god is asking us just wake up like church read my word be moved by what jesus did on the cross forgive others as i've forgiven you be motivated by love. And so we're about to go into a response song and communion, but before we get there, like, I want to pray. I want to pray for those of you who God's convicting your heart. Maybe you're a believer and you've sat and you're like, Rance, I've been wearing clothes that I was, I was supposed to put off a long time ago. Maybe they're things that you put off, but then you find yourself wearing again. And you're just like, I'm done with it. I want to be motivated by love. I, I, want, I don't want to be described anymore with hypocrisy, arrogance. I want to be described as gentle and kind for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his glory. And so if I, if I could have everybody just bow their heads and close their eyes, if that's you, and you just say, Rance, like, like I'm serious, like I, I, I want to be prayed over. I, I want to live bold for Christ. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's hands all around the room. And I'm going to pray. And we're going to pray scary prayers because if our prayers aren't scaring us, they're not scaring the enemy. I can promise you that. And so God, we thank you so much.
And God, would you challenge us to the depth of our, our heart, to the depth of our soul, like, like whatever it is, Lord, would you just begin to begin to pry and, and to cut off the things that are not of us. Lord, would you give us the, the, the strength to take off anger and malice and jealousy and ungratefulness and unforgiveness. And Lord, as we take that off, Lord, we put on love. Not so people can look at us, but so that people can look through us and see you. God, would you just begin to challenge people in this room, challenge myself. Lord, put us in places where we can practice and and express patience. Lord, would you convict our hearts in the moments when when family is getting irritable and would you convict us immediately to respond in gentleness? Lord, would you do a work in this place in our hearts so that as we're transformed within, we can see the people, the world, the workspaces around us come to know you. Lord, I pray that we are a church that with conviction and with boldness can say, 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But this happens when we take a step back and we allow you to have the spotlight. This happens when we put on love and we are motivated by it. God, I pray specifically right now for every hand raised that are dealing with unforgiveness. God, would you give them the strength, the ability? Would you open their eyes to the way that you've forgiven them so that they can extend that forgiveness to others? Lord, we pray all these things in your name. And we pray much more that we don't know how to articulate. Lord, would you just step in? and do what you do best. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So really, really quick, and we are gonna be done, but there's another group of people in here. This may be your first time in church. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're beginning to realize where there's conviction in your heart, like, like God is pulling you in and says, hey, you, you've never even given me a chance. You've never even surrendered your life. And there may be somebody in this room that, that it wants to make that decision right now with a full confidence and assurance that on judgment day that I will no longer be accredited with my sins, my shortcomings, my filthiness, my shame. Like I am made new in Christ and you want the confidence today. It would be at a disservice if I didn't give an opportunity for it. And so if church, if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes again, but maybe that's you and you say, Rance, today is the day that I want my life to be marked by Jesus. I want to surrender everything. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands can go down. I'm just gonna pray. There's nothing special about this prayer, but I would ask that you repeat 
after me to yourself. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Lord, I recognize that there is a gap between me and you. And that gap is only fulfilled and only bridged by your son who died on a cross and who resurrected. Lord, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we just celebrate the hands that just went up and pray that prayer? Be motivated by love. Because eternity is at stake.